Undoubtedly, we will look back at the spread of the coronavirus as the biggest story of 2020. And one of the largest areas of concern when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic is how it will affect our schools. On today's show, we sit down and talk with Tyler Ream, the superintendent of Helena Public Schools. And we ask Tyler what will be the plan in regards to COVID for the Helena school system. And also about the recent news that more than 97,000 children tested positive for the coronavirus in the last two weeks of July alone. And if that news changes the plan or his perspective for our schools here in Helena. And at the end of the show, a quick rundown of some area headlines. A quick disclaimer today that our conversation and show today with Tyler Reem is actually a two-part episode. The second part has a lot of good, interesting information. So please make sure, if you're listening, to also continue on with part two. From the newsroom here at the Independent Record, I'm digital editor and host, Eric Seidel, and this is Above the Fold. Before we bring Tyler Ream here on the line with us, let's go over what exactly is in the district's first draft in their back-to-school plan for some context. Just like the state of Montana, the Helena School District plans to use a phase system in its back-to-school plan. The phases are numbered 0 through 3 and break down accordingly. In phase 0, school buildings will be physically closed to in-person attendance and all school services will shift online. Grab-and-go food options will be available, however. In phase 1, gatherings will be limited to 10 people or less. Students will receive two days of in-person instruction and three days of online learning each week. Deep cleaning of all the school buildings will take place each Wednesday in phase 1. In phase 2, schools are allowed to operate at nearly their full capacity for five days a week. There is a catch, however, in that activities will be limited to 50 people or less to allow for maximum social distancing. Phase 2 also requires that schools maintain distancing of 6 feet or more unless precluded by space. And in Phase 3, things will operate as if the pandemic never existed. Face masks and 6 feet social distancing will be encouraged but not mandatory. Let's go ahead and bring Tyler Reem on the line with us. Tyler, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself quick to the listeners. So Tyler Reem, I serve as superintendent in the Helena Public Schools. Tyler, I'm talking to you on Wednesday. And last night, you unveiled your back-to-school plan to the board and everyone in attendance. Now, we've already summed up the different phases. But if you wouldn't mind just sort of briefly talking about the rollout starts and the phase designations. I think everybody's been looking towards kind of what is the phase designation. We're a little bit different from other districts in in terms of our phase, our phase designation comes after what we've termed rolling start, which is this transition intentionally, uh, you know, kind of transitioning our students into school and our employees, quite honestly, into school in small groups that allow us to really acclimate and get used to the environment, um, but also develop relationships, to be honest, as quickly as we can, right? Because um, it's hard to walk into a class of 20 or, or, or more and be able to develop relationships. Just human nature says the smaller the group, the easier it is to acclimate and form those relationships. So we really have that rolling start piece that begins, it kind of replaces the, the, the schedule for the start of school. Then it phases students in really starting Monday, August 31st. 
And then it's not until after uh, the Labor Day holiday on September 8th, I believe, that we really start that phase designation. So really, that's 27 days from now. So we still have quite a ways. I know families and employees, everybody needs to get ready for the start of the school year. And given the differentiation between the phases, it's hard to prepare yourself for phases zero, one, and two. And so by declaring that, hey, it is our intention, it's our goal to start in phase one, but also be honest with everybody to say there's there's still no guarantees. We are very much in the midst of a pandemic right now. And so there are a couple of things that we have to be cautious of, including local community health as something that we're going to be watching very closely across the next four weeks. Before we talk about the decision-making process, I'll follow the line a little bit on the subject of these rolling starts. I'm curious if the size of classes and students in attendance played a role when it comes to these rolling starts. And, and what I mean is, on some level, is it a bit of an insurance policy to only have a select number of students in attendance in classes and in the school building with the thinking that this will buy us a few weeks of rollout time where if something breaks out, it'll be a lot easier to, to trace it back and control it as opposed to a full house of students. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always a part, uh, and in many ways, kind of sadly, right, that's always in the back of our brains as we think through this is what are cohort sizes and, and things like that. Pieces that we, let's be honest, we've never really had to think through those pieces. Um, and so as we're thinking about, you know, potential exposure and research around small cohort sizes, certainly that helps. Um, but really, we got the idea from a lot of our partners that work in the area of of mental health. And what they were really saying to us, and I, I think there's a lot of truth to it, um, is that we're, we're all in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and no matter how kind of we all feel personally, um, we're under immense stress. And there's active trauma that's taking place across our country and across our world. And that will manifest itself in very different ways in different people, whether it be, you know, how short your temper may be or how emotional you may be. And you think, God, what's wrong with myself? You know, and, it, and, and what our partners have said, that's trauma. That's, in, that's being in the middle of a pandemic and stress. Kids feel that as well. And so if, we, if we've said to them really since roughly March 15th, School isn't a safe place right now. School has always been a safe place. But but in March, we said school's not a safe place. We can't be together and in person. Then all of a sudden, in late August, we say, okay, it's safe. It doesn't matter how many health protocols or how long we prepare emotionally to do that there's still a cognitive disconnect when somebody walks into that environment for the first time. And, and for children, it, it, it can make even less sense. And so we wanted to be really cognizant of that and provide our teachers the best environment possible to kind of work their magic and get to know kids, um, knowing that that relationship that they form in those first few hours and those first few days is foundational to what happens in, you know, the next four weeks, four months, et cetera. So let's talk about some of your partners and the decision-making process 
that you went through in coming out with this plan. I'm sure you had hundreds, probably thousands of emails, but I am curious if you had any good conversations with some of your partners and and some professionals. It's not very often that we have to look outside of our field, whichever field we work in, but I found that sometimes when you do, you end up stumbling across some, some good information. So maybe tell me about some of your partners and some of the feedback that you've received. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of feedback, like you said. I mean, really going back to March, I, I don't even know how to quantify the number of, of emails. You know, I think you know, one, one of the specialists, and I, I'm not making light of it, um, parents, right? I mean, getting a parent's perspective, just because we think that there's a great schedule, uh, we need to run it by parents. It's not to say that they always love it. A lot of times the feedback was, no, I don't like this. Um, but we were able to work with them. I mean, I, I think that's a major stakeholder group that was important. But to your point, you know, doctors and nurses and infectious disease specialists and uh, small business owners, um, you know, again, mental health providers, whether they were from uh, Shodair and Intermountain, uh, were a big part of our work together. Um, you know, those were some of uh, kind of the key uh, specialist that I think that we were able to to glean a lot of knowledge from across this process, um, and and they added a depth to the discussions and a perspective that we would have been to your point we would have been lacking if it's just educators who are approaching this. I mean, I, I feel like I've taken a lot of classes. I'm still taking classes. Um, I, I never seem to stop taking classes. I've never taken the class in infectious diseases, right? So having an infectious disease expert alongside, and we're looking at, you know, we're looking at articles, just like we're all doing, right? We're Googling stuff and, 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 and having an expert say, nah, that one's not quite right. Um, or that's not a valid source. And let's look at, you know, quality peer reviewed research as opposed to what you pulled up on Facebook. Um, and, and that, that has, was really helpful to make sure that we were, uh, grounding our plan in, in kind of the best science possible. So you work with a team and you come up with a phase plan. Were there any other plans on the table? I'm sure there was a broad spectrum of plans you could have come out with. You probably could have come up with a color chart or graph chart or number chart or any number of plans. Was the thinking behind going forward with a phase plan that people are already familiar with the phases that the state has been working with? Yeah. And so, I mean, I think it's a, it's a really good question. I'll give you a, a super candid response, right? I mean, initially, as we kind of framed out or really kind of I as superintendent framed out really what I, I was hoping that we could collectively accomplish across the summertime, um, I, I initially kind of stuck into that phase piece and said, okay, well, we're already used to phases. Maybe it will help our parents and just help kind of the vernacular of, of these conversations in order to stick to phases. Three months later, was that a great decision? I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's a little confusing, quite honestly, um, because parents have been able to say, wait a minute, so the state is in phase two, but the district is looking at phase one. I get it. Like, like we, maybe we should have gone back and, and, and 
we should have used colors or, you know, something like that. Um, but, you know, kind of the plan is out there at this point, and for us to change all of that now would probably just add to the confusion. And I think that is really important to clear up, that you're working independently of the state. I think there was a lot of confusion with what phase the state may be in versus what phase the school might be in. So just so we're clear, the school will be opening in phase one. It's the state that's in phase two. Correct. Yeah. I mean, we've circled, again, for our parents and employees and students that are intent on, again, September 8th. And school starts before then, but the phase would initiate on September 8th, Tuesday, September 8th. If I could just butt in and, and chime in here, just so all of our listeners are clear, I'll try to be concise and use a little bit of brevity. The school building will be open on the 26th. That's only for teachers. Teachers will be getting ready for their classes and putting precautions into place. For all intents and purposes, parents can mostly ignore that week. Now, From the 31st to the 4th, it's just a very soft opening and hopefully students will be able to meet their teachers and get a day of in-person time in. Where the rubber meets the road is on Tuesday the 8th. That's after the holiday. If all goes well and the school is opened in phase one, that's when the Helena School Districts will be following the rules put forth, which optimistically for now could be phase one which is partial in-person classes and partial online learning classes, all based on the last name of the student. You'll want to look that up to see where your child fits in. You'll also want to stay up on any changes in the school's phasing before now and the school buildings open. I just want people to know it's not just me sitting in my office looking at four options and saying, "Ah, I think we're going to go there, right? Um, We have weekly, if not more often, meetings with uh, county health officials, and we're actively looking at the data that they have pertaining to Lewis and Clark. We've wrestled with, should we be looking at Lewis and Clark countywide data? Should we be looking, trying to get Helena-specific data? But really, with the enrollment pattern and, and where our employees and our students live, we're really a countywide district in many ways. And so we made the decision that the most accurate data for us to be looking at is really specific to Lewis and Clark County. And so that's uh, something that we're doing in terms of on a weekly basis, if not more frequent to that, is sitting down with uh, county health officials and looking through the data and looking for indicators that um, this, you know, this pandemic is, is increasing or not within our community. And, and they're working through indicators. I mean, they're talk about an iterative process. They're always looking for the best kind of predictive indicators so that they have a better sense of what community health looks like today and what it's going to look like next week. And so that's an active process with us and something that I think we will, again, probably continue across this entire time that the pandemic is impacting our community, where we're meeting with them on a regular basis, thinking through, okay, where are we going this week? What does our two-week trend look like? You know, kind of what age ranges are kind of, you know, not to use the word hot spots, but, you know, where are we seeing trends that we we don't like? Um, Where are we seeing trends that we do like? Um, And so having those partners sit down with me, uh, not physically, right, in a, in a digital manner, but but be able to walk me through and walk our team through what they're seeing and then 
they understand the tools that we have in our tool belt. I mean, that was the intention of the plan is to basically create a foundation for decision making for the entire 2021 school year. And so our partners in Lewis and Clark, they understand the tools that we have in the tool belt and, and, and they're able to say, you know, we really think you all should consider this. And so when I say it's a decision that's made in concert, that's a, that's a true statement. Um, and I'm very thankful for that, that they haven't, um, done that thing where they said, well, you know, you're the school system. You make your own decisions. We really need experts to help us think through all of these things. Sure. And I, I think people understand this is a collaborative process in reopening schools and that it definitely behooves the parents to stay up on any changes in the phasing or with the schools. It's definitely sounds like it's a working document and always a work in progress. And that data is changing all the time. Now, if we move forward from all of the rollout and phase talk, I think the biggest question on everyone's mind is, if our COVID numbers, our infection rate and our new case rate is much worse than it was when schools first closed in March, why are we reopening? The cases have gone up. And if we close to a lower number, why are we reopening to a higher number of COVID-19 cases. And just to be fair, I, I think that's in all walks of life. I think people have that question when it comes to the stores they're shopping at, to the elementary schools that their children might be attending, to functions over 50 people. I just think that's the biggest question on, on everyone's mind in all fields and walks of life. If faced with that question, what is sort of your elevator speech or your key points to, to tell folks? You know, to have so much data coming at you and even to just recently hear that anywhere from 97,000 to 200,000 kids tested positive for COVID-19 in, in the last two weeks of July alone. You know, when, when you're getting hit with all these numbers from parents or even just in reading the news yourself, is there a way you, you know, sort of sum it up or someone asking that? You know, those kind of questions are, are tough questions, but they're, of course, legitimate concerns. Yeah. So I, I really, you know, unfortunately, maybe this is my one of my many failings as a, a superintendent, but I really don't have a good elevator speech for it other than just to be honest and, and say, let's go back to where we were in March. In March, there was a virus emerging that we didn't even know what a COVID-19 was at that time, right? And so we're starting to see things somewhat local in terms of the impacts that it was having in Seattle and then the impacts that it was having in New York and California. And there was a, you know, and I don't think I'm alone in this, there was this fear that this this is a like a, a viral tidal wave that is coming and will sweep across our country. And I think leaders did at the time what they knew to be best. They really didn't know um, what this thing was. And, and, and we've learned, you know, gosh, probably not enough, but we've learned a lot since March. Um, and, you know, at the time, I think um, leadership did the right thing in saying, we don't know. So we're going to take the most cautious approach which was let's get let i mean let's basically reduce any transmission possibility in our community and stay as healthy as we can for as long as we can now there were ramifications associated with that right so there was educational ramifications mental health ramifications economic 
ramifications associated with do, with doing that. But given what we knew at the time, I don't know that, you know, it's easy to play kind of the Monday morning quarterback at this point. And I do that a lot to say, gosh, you really wish we had a hybrid or wish we had this phased model where we could have phased down to zero in March and then back up to one in April and back up to phase two in May to end the year, right? I mean, that would have been perfect. And candidly, in my next pandemic, I'll probably be more prepared <laughs> to be able to do something like that. Right, of course, sure. <laughs> so I think now is as good a time as we're going to get probably to go ahead and take a break. If you're listening to the show, you can continue on with the rest of the episode here in part two of our conversation, where in my opinion, I, I think we dive into kind of some of the more interesting parts of our chat. <laughs> 